Halloween is a great day to dress up like something that you're not. I, we were at the Halloween party last night, and I saw this six-year-old kid, and he was dressed up like a surgeon. I was like, I bet you're not a real surgeon. <laughs> I bet you didn't go to medical school. Uh, you'll see people that are being something that they're not actually. And I was thinking about that this morning because James is going to call out Christians for being something that they're not actually, and we might be able to relate to this. Um, I'll tell you a little story that kind of goes along with this. I was in, I went to Harding School of Theology from 2007 until 2010. Lisa and I met at Pepperdine and got married, and then we lived in Memphis for three years so I could work on my uh, uh, MDiv, seminary degree. It's like Bible students, future preachers and future uh, academics, Bible class teachers of America, all gathering and dedicating three years of our lives to preparing for this. I remember one morning we were in Hebrew class, we were learning the Old Testament language, and we're just going through our conjugations, and those classes were three hours a pop, so you'd sit through three hours, they'd put a break in the middle. During the break, we started to hear some rumblings from the hallway, like, what, what? And people start talking, like, whoa, did you hear what happened? Oh, did you see what happened? And I was just, you know, thinking about my Hebrew quiz and going, no, what happened? Apparently, two students from our Hebrew class who had moments ago been sitting next to each other learning the original language of God's word got into a fist fight in the hallway. There was a rumble at Harding School of Theology. And the news came in through the door. We were like, what? They like fighting each other? Like, yeah, they were pounding each other. He said, what happened? Apparently, what happened was both of these students had been having a bad day, and they were passing each other at the drinking fountain, and one of them bumped the other one. And the student said, hey, why don't you watch where you're going? Hey, why don't you watch it? And it escalated from that to more threats, <laughs> demands, uh, elevated language to shoving, to punching, until somebody went, hey, 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 maybe don't do that. That's not cool. Uh, the students, after Hebrew class, we all had chapel together, so we all like went into chapel and worshipped, and there was an announcement made, well, um, some of you have heard about the fight. There were some students here on campus that thought it would be a great idea to punch each other in the face and be uh, in a fight, and they want to come up and make an announcement. The two students came up and, uh, you know, gave their... Humble apologies, but yeah, we, we lost our temper, we, we, we hit each other, we got into a fight, uh, but that's, that's not who we want to be, that's not what uh, following Jesus is about, and I'm, we're not even mad at each other anymore. We just realized it was a mistake, and they shook hands, I think they even hugged. It was like, they hugged, and we all clapped, like, oh, good, that's better than fighting. It was so strange, it was so out of place. We were all just surprised a little shocked that that could happen and did happen. And then, kind of like we're chuckling about this now, it, it, it almost comes across as funny. You know, like a six-year-old surgeon going, yeah, right, you're not going to perform it. That's not who you really are. We chuckle because we go, that's not who you are. You're not someone who fights. That's not what the people of God do. That's not the way of Jesus at all. And yet it still happens sometimes. Uh, James is going to address that a little bit uh, in the text we're going to read together. But before we read the text, I want you to think about your own life right now. Don't answer out loud. You might get the chance to answer out loud later. 
So here's the question. Who are you fighting? Who are you fighting? You might think, oh, I'm fighting myself. No, that's not what we're talking about. Think of someone in your life that you're fighting. Well, I'm a peaceful person. I've never been in a fight in my life. You may not be in a fight like a brawl in the hall currently, but there may be someone that you're fighting or maybe someone you recently are having a conflict with, a struggle. Or maybe, like Jesus and James have described, a hate in your heart that you hold on to. Jesus says, you know, the law says don't murder. And we can all go, great, we haven't murdered anybody. We're doing fine. And Jesus says, well, here's the truth. If you hate someone in your heart, you might as well have murdered them. It's like you have committed murder. So root that stuff out. Think about this this morning. Who are you fighting? And I want you to think of one person. As we hear the wisdom that comes from heaven, as we hear what James reminds us about and prescribes for us as followers of Jesus, I want you to keep that relationship in your mind. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we ask your peace. We come before you this morning because we believe you have something to offer us. We believe you can change even our hearts. We believe you can be strong where we are weak. So we ask for your favor, your blessing. We ask you to change us in ways that more reflect Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, James says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? Good reminder. Here's the good news for the students who brawl in the hall and those of us who get it wrong. He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We sang that earlier. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Hope so, because we need it in our lives. James uses some pretty strong language here for Christians, those who have chosen to follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus and you're around Jesus people, you might expect a pat on the head. Good for you. You're getting it right. You're making good choices. Yeah, sometimes, but in this case, James comes along and says, you adulterous people, which I really think is a cleaned up, nice way of saying something that's actually a lot more harsh. You are unfaithful. You are people who break your promises. You serve two masters. You want this and you want this. You kill, you covet. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Ooh, that's harsh stuff. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Getting it wrong. James is feeling very 
passionate about what the message that he's delivering. I wonder if it's similar to the shock, disappointment, and kind of like nervous laughter, uncomfortable feeling that we had when these students had to stand up and make a public apology. We're sorry, we're not, we know we shouldn't fight. We we messed up. James is going. I'm hearing that in your churches, that in communities of believers, you're hating each other, you're fighting each other, you're killing and coveting. Interesting question here. Was there actually killing going on? Or is he referring to that Jesus kind of killing? Killed someone in your heart? Can't be sure. I mean, Christians were new to following Christ. Some of them came from sordid, worldly backgrounds. We know Jesus called zealots, people that were like planning assassinations because they were so passionate about rising up against Rome. There might have been actual killing that was going on. Here's how we take care of this problem where I'm from. Or maybe it was just that passive bitterness that we hold on to. But whatever the case, I'm looking for Scott McKnight's words here. He says it like this. Physical or not, even to this day, the words of James should embarrass those who are committed to a Lord who taught the way of love, the way of peace, and whose cross brought into graphic reality a new way of life. In other words, it's just, it's just not what you do. You don't do that. Maybe that's why James has so many strong things to say. Because people of Christ have said, we have dedicated ourselves to the way of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the end of James 3 where he contrasted the way of the world, the wisdom of the world, with the wisdom that comes from heaven. And listen to these words from last week that may remind us of what we heard this week. The wisdom that comes from heaven is pure and peace-loving. Peace-loving. Hmm. Essential. Submissive, considerate. Got something to say about that here. Maybe he's reminded of the time when God's people were at the base of Mount Sinai and they'd seen God do amazing things. They crossed the Red Sea. They came out into the wilderness. God provided for them. And they were on board. They said, yes, we want to follow this God. We trust him. Two places in the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus 19 and Exodus 24. The people of God Here, Moses saying like, hey, he wants to be your God. He wants to continue to provide for you. Here's some commandments. Here's some some details about the way of life that you're called to live. And the people's response was, I think we have it up here, Dick. We will do everything the Lord has said enthusiastically. And if you read Exodus in order, they say it before they hear the Ten Commandments. Moses is like, hey, I got some commandments. They don't even read them. We will do everything the Lord has said, no matter what is on those tablets. Yeah, we're in. And then they're not. (laughs) Then they fail. They fall on their face. Cleansing, and then a reading of the law, and then like all these rules and all these regulations, this description of what it means to be the people of God. And then you get to Exodus 24. They say it again. Cool. Yes, we will do everything the Lord has said. And do they? They don't. (laughs) They fail again. Maybe this sounds familiar. I will not hate someone in my heart. I will not choose to fight. I will not use the weapons of the world as a follower of Christ. We will do everything the Lord has said. And then we don't. We leave things out. We fall short. Going back to that grace theme that we sung about earlier. Man, we need that grace. And so James tells us to do things like submit yourselves to God. Humble yourself 
before the Lord. Get over yourself. As I'm thinking about each of these sections of James, and there's always like one practical action thing that you can do. And I was thinking about this week, the action really is kind of like humble yourself, but we don't think about that as an action. I think we think of that more as a mindset. Oh yeah, I, I can't think of myself too highly. I need, I need to just kind of like, uh. think about like this, demote yourself. Take away, like, think about a demotion at work. Let's say you're, you're, you're a boss and you're in charge of something and it's not going great. And maybe the people that are working with you said, we're going to take away some of that responsibility because it's not going well. We're going to demote you. We don't want that. That's a failure. That's, ah, that's, that's going the opposite direction. But maybe with our spiritual lives, we're playing the role of God. We're casting judgment on people. We're doing too much to try to get results that we're looking for, killing and covet. You don't have what you want because you don't ask from God. And when you do ask, you have the wrong motives and you're trying to accomplish not kingdom things, and maybe the solution is just take a little bit off your plate. Demote yourself. Trust God more. Submit yourself to God. Let Him be more in charge of your life and how you're living. At the end of this passage, starting in verse 7, you get from James a lot of commands. They're almost like the Ten Commandments of James. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. Come near to God, and he'll come to you. And then he talks this language about washing your hands. That's purification language. That's repentance. Change the way you're doing something, because the way you're doing it is not clean. It's not that wisdom that comes from heaven that's pure. It's not of God. It's something else. So wash your hands and purify your heart. Change. Then he says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Maybe that's a challenge for us today. We're going to keep trying. We're going to keep saying, we want to do the things that God has called us to. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. And we're going to try, but there's still this tendency we have to fight. Control people, to control things, to win, even if it's just for the sake of being right. We have this pride that needs to be addressed. We need to humble ourselves. We need to demote ourselves and say, God, teach me something. God is good. Hopefully he'll teach us gently, but Man, some of us, maybe uh, the way we're living, we're heading for a fall. Being demoted um, reminds me of an activity that we do in the middle schools. I told you about how me and my buddy Curtis, we go to East Avenue, we go to Christensen, and they, they teach them good things, like teach them <laughs> to not fight. I, and maybe I didn't tell you this. One of the reasons that they started reaching out to leaders in the community is because students were not able to control their emotions the way that they used to. They'd be playing a game, and we'll be like, that's not fair, you're not being fair, and they couldn't work out their agreement, so they just like pound each other, like fourth grade students, or middle schoolers, just like fighting over a game of tetherball or foursquare. They're like, oh, man, there's just this passion, there's this, these emotions in there, and they gotta do something with them. Curtis and I sat in a meeting with principals and said, okay, we're hearing you say that's an issue, so let's talk about how to resolve things without our fists. Um, we're seeing an issue with relationships. We don't know how to assume the best about people. Everybody's just standoffish. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of prejudice. There's a lot of uh, cliquishness in the schools, and it's harmful to our campus. And, okay, well, let's, let's talk about that. We think that the Lord has something good to say there. We came up with an activity that we do with all of the eighth grade students that we get the chance to speak with. It's a game called Nicest Way Possible. Uh, I'll share the game with you. It's kind of fun. Maybe we can have a little session here this morning. 
A lot of times when somebody does something that we don't understand or that we don't like, we go, uh, they're probably the worst. I'm going to not be friends with them. I'm going to cast judgment on them. But that's promoting yourself to the place of judge, and that's not what we're called to do. Maybe instead, think about an explanation that gives them the benefit of the doubt, that assumes that they're a good person, they're not just out to get you. We jump to conclusions a lot. So we do this activity where we say, all right, let's say you're eating your lunch, you have your plate of food there, and someone comes up and slaps the food out of your hands. Your lunch is on the ground, totally ruined, you can't eat it now. Uh, we say that to students, you know what they do? Their body language changes, they, they do this. Some of them go, oh, someone did that to me, um, pop them, like that's, that's justice. Okay, we understand, that's your reaction. But think instead of a nicer explanation. What, what is the possibility that they are doing something good? They slap the food out of your hand and they're doing it to be nice. What is the possibility? Evie, what's, what's, what's the possibility you could come up with? Ah, maybe your food was poisoned. Maybe they have knowledge about your food being bad and harmful for you. So they're doing one of these, no, slap the food out of your hand. You're like, what? You just ruined my lunch. Maybe they saved your life. That is a great creative explanation. What's another possibility that they slap the food out of your hand and it's a good thing that they're looking out for you? Yes, Lisa. Maybe there was a bug on it. You were caught up in conversation. You were about to eat a bug and they said, no, I didn't want you to have to experience that. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Any others? Poison and bugs. Evie's got more. They were trying to high-five your lunch. They were just trying to be a friendly, greeting person, and it, it went wrong. It was, they had good intentions. This exercise gets us to kind of sidestep the stuff that comes first, the rage, the feeling affronted, and just, I don't deserve this. Promoting yourself. This is an activity in demoting yourself. And being humble and saying, maybe there's an explanation that I haven't thought of. And a simple exercise like this can go a long way in our not breaking our relationships. I don't get to say this next part in the schools, but I'll say it to you guys. It reminds us of the way of Jesus. It reminds us of Jesus himself, who didn't just say, oh, you got to humble yourself. You should do that. I'll go be the king. I'll get everything that I want. Jesus is the one who is willing to be poor, to be rejected to be misunderstood, and to be arrested, and to be nailed to a cross. You remember the story before Jesus was arrested, where he was praying in Gethsemane. He invited his disciples to pray with him. This is a hard moment, you guys. I really need you to pray with me. They fell asleep. Whoops. Some friends. But Jesus, we get to overhear his prayer. He says, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. I'm not looking forward to what's about to happen on the cross. And yet, not what? Not my will, but yours be done. Consistent with the way he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not necessarily mine. Jesus humbled himself in the garden. He kind of prayed the prayer of the Israelites, but he didn't fail at it. I will do everything 
the Lord has said. Lord, if you say, go, I will go. If you say, go to the cross, I will do this. Not my will, but yours be done. That's the good news that we have in Jesus, is that he succeeds where we fail. We say, we'll do everything the Lord has said. We'll do everything James wants. This is obviously a better way of life. We're not going to fight in the hall. And then we do. But Jesus doesn't have to make that apology. Sorry, I tried, but I messed up. He won't let us down. He keeps his promises. He's faithful. Where we are double-minded, where we are adulterous people, Jesus is trustworthy. He's faithful. He says what he commits to doing. He carries it out. That's why we worship him. That's why he's awesome. That's why he's worth listening to and worth following. So I want you to think about the question I asked a moment ago. Who are you fighting? And the simple shining a spotlight on that relationship, maybe a place where there's tension, maybe a place where you are trying to keep your promotion and get your way and call the shots and put people in their place and win the arguments, whatever it is. Think about what Jesus is modeling on the cross and think about what James is calling us to. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Humble yourself. Demote yourself and be okay. Let God take care of the fights and the battles. What does it look like in that relationship? for you to stop fighting. For us to, kind of like those students in chapel, to stand up and go, (laughs) this is stupid. This is just not who I am. This is not who I want to be. What does it look like in that relationship in your life? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to turn to somebody next to you, somebody you're comfortable talking with, and... uh, Answer that with as much detail as you're comfortable doing. Who are you fighting? Who are you fighting right now? And then just take a couple minutes and pray for each other. If you don't know how to pray about that, just pray for peace. Because we see this throughout James. Peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. If you aim for peace, you'll probably yield a righteous status before God. It's good. We are peacemakers as the people of God. So pray for peace. Even if you don't see how it's possible, Promote yourself, ask God to do it for you or to show you how. So that's what I want us to do. And then I'm going to close us out with, uh, this is me thinking it as I'm deciding it. <laughs> Let's do that first. But I'm going to come back up here and then I'm going to lead us in some prayers for the folks we know in our congregation who are dealing with specific stuff. But first, just take a minute, turn to the person next to you. Who are you fighting? Pray for peace. Ready, go.